This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Proper Cloth, the leader in men's custom shirts. At propercloth.com, ordering custom shirts have never been easier. Create your own custom shirt by answering 10 easy questions. No tape measure required. It's true. I've done this myself. Ordered a shirt just answering these questions. Shirts start from $80 and are delivered in just two weeks. For premium quality and perfect fitting shirts, visit propercloth.com and use gift code MANLINESS to get $20 off your first custom shirt today. Again, propercloth.com. Use gift code MANLINESS for $20 off your first custom shirt. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Testosterone is what puts hair in your chest, gives you the big manly muscles, gives you that deep manly voice, and fills you with fiery thumos. But testosterone levels in men living in the West have been on the decline in the past 60 years. Your grandfather and your dad likely had more tea when they were the same age as you. To remedy this decline, offices and strip malls have been popping up across the country that provide prescription testosterone replacement therapy. My guest today argues that while testosterone replacement therapy certainly has a place in treating low T, it's often used too quickly as a first recourse. He argues that the vast majority of men would be better off increasing their T levels through simple, natural lifestyle changes, a process he successfully accomplished himself. His name is Christopher Walker. He's the author of the book, Master Your T, The Definitive Guide to Raising Your Testosterone. Today on the show, Christopher shares how he raised his own T levels from almost non-existent to optimal, just making simple changes in his lifestyle. We then discuss what the symptoms of low testosterone are, the main culprits of low T, and why this vital hormone has been decreasing in modern men. We dig into the benefits of having optimal testosterone and no, it's not just about sex and muscles. Christopher then goes into how testosterone is produced in the body and where things often go wrong in this process. And then we get into brass tacks of what you can do to raise your T levels naturally. We also discuss when you should actually go visit a doctor for testosterone replacement therapy. Great podcast filled with some interesting insights. Uh, If you enjoyed our series on how to increase your testosterone naturally, you'll enjoy this show. Also, uh, you know, medical disclaimer, before you make any lifestyle changes, go talk to your doctor, seek some medical advice. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash testosterone, where you find links to resources where you delve deeper into this topic. All right, Christopher Walker, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you're an owner of a website called Anabolic Men. You've also published a book called Mastering Your Tea, The Definitive Guide to Increasing Your Testosterone Naturally. What got you started this has become your sort of life work, helping men increase their testosterone levels naturally. I'm curious, what got you started researching and writing about testosterone? Yeah, it's actually a, a roundabout story. It's something I honestly never thought I would ever be doing as a career. And then uh, I actually fought it in terms of becoming like a, a business because I was like, I just want to do this. But I guess starting from square one, it was the reason that I never expected to go down this road was because you know, I was uh, pretty young. I was a teenager when uh, I was about 19 years old when, when I started to have, or I was actually still in high school. I, was, I think I was 17 when I started to actually have the symptoms of something was going wrong with my health. And, you know, I didn't, I was not aware even of nutrition or anything back then. So I just kind of went along with things, thought it was just, you know, st- stress for no reason kind of deal. And ended up when I was 19, the, the doctors found a pituitary tumor after, you know, a couple of years of, of like a lot of depression issues, a lot of anxiety issues, I had to actually take a year off of college because I, I just couldn't cope with things. And there was a lot of stuff going wrong, you know, a lot of insomnia, just all these symptoms of hormonal imbalance. Eventually it, it became 
you know, a thing that I, I went into my doctor because I had no sex drive as a 19 year old. And I said, Hey, I just need a blood test. It, it was, it was crazy. And this is what kind of got me onto my current belief of uh, helping people do things naturally now, because back then, you know, what, it, it took two years for them to even do a blood test on me, a 19 year old with, with like, you know, a lot of issues, a lot of health issues. And uh, I thought that was insane. So when they finally did the blood test, it became evident that something was wrong. Like right away, my general practitioner sent me to a, a hematologist oncologist in, in uh, Northern Virginia. I went to that guy. He did like a full blood and hormone panel, instantly said, you have a brain tumor in your pituitary. I, I would bet money on it. So we got an MRI, found it. Boom. You know, at least I knew what was going on and how to, how to um, go from there at, at that point. But what I thought was so insane was like they were putting me in therapy programs. They were putting me on, on all sorts of like antidepressants and all these drugs. And uh, when it comes down to it, none of that was the issue. It wasn't a behavioral problem. It wasn't a, you know, an antidepressant deficiency. It was really just I had a, I had a tumor and no one ever thought to do a blood test. So that's that, that kind of uh, that experience basically instilled the passion in me. I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of a messed up system right now. And, and then later when I started to teach and write about stuff that obviously became laced, that, that sentiment of that ethos like became laced into my mentality of, you know, why I think it's really good for people to explore a natural option because a lot of people's health problems don't have anything to do with a drug deficiency. And they, I mean, drugs have helped a lot of people, but they've hurt more, more than they've helped. And I, I think there's a current resurgence right now that's really cool of the natural, uh, you know, going back to our roots and figuring things out naturally and have a problem solving mentality. There's like an awakening kind of happening generally, but, um, there's still a lot of work to do on that end. And so that's what got me into it. The, the pituitary tumor, one of the biggest symptoms and one that I cared the most about was low testosterone. My testosterone was 11 nanograms per deciliter, which is basically zero. The tumor was acting like a blocker to blocking hormone production in my pituitary. There's a couple other types of pituitary tumors. Some of them, the other three types actually uh, hypersecrete. So then you have you have people in that case with like you know extreme growth, you know other other sorts of hormonal issues because of that hypersecreting tumor. But mine was a blocking tumor, so it was blocking all the production of these key hormones that I really needed. And uh, so it became my personal you know fit problem to solve. And uh, all I cared about was testosterone because I was 19. I was like, I need to have a sex drive. And uh, so, I, but I was tired of the drugs. I knew how terrible it made me feel. So I uh, set off to figure out how to do it naturally. And that's kind of how this all ended up. My, I got my testosterone to almost 1,200 nanograms per deciliter completely naturally with you know nutrition, like smart nutrition, start, smart stress management, training, etc. I kind of ran the gamut and tried to figure it out, tried all this different stuff. And then uh, after that, a lot of my friends were asking me how to do it. I ended up writing a book. That book turned into a website, eventually turned into uh, partnering with Ali Coppola on anabolicmen.com. And now the book is in its fourth edition, Master Your Tea, like you said. And uh, here we are. Here we are. Well, so do you still have the tumor in your pituitary gland? Uh, I don't, so I actually haven't uh, gotten an MRI in a couple of years. I would imagine it's not there. It might sound like a radical thing to say, but... But, you know, one of the things I've been doing is fasting for almost eight years now. Um, yeah, about eight years. And I, the, I did the fasting initially to try and get rid of the tumor. I need to go back definitely and get another MRI. It's been a few years, but it hasn't grown at all. 
in terms of uh, last time I got checked. And uh, I think it's potentially gone because all the symptoms of it are, have, have been gone for many years. It's interesting. And how, do you know why these tumors pop up? Is it just genetics? Is it environmental? A combination of the two? I actually, I have absolutely no idea. That, that's one of the things that I haven't been able to figure out, like trying to self-examine and look back, like, where did this come from? Because I, you know, I was always like really active. I was in great shape, you know, through, through high school, uh, an athlete. It might've been caused by a nutritional issue. That's the only thing I can think of. Cause really all I, my diet when I was in high school and middle school growing up was consisted of like frozen foods, you know, pizzas and whatever chips, Gatorade, <laughs> that was about it. So, um, it could have been a nutritional stressor, but other than that, I don't really know where these things come from. It, they're surprisingly common though. It was one thing I learned was that more people have pituitary tumors than they know. Um, and I've actually talked to people in the, since then, um, you know, personal friends who they'll tell me their symptoms will kind of like open up and be vulnerable about what they're going through. I'm like, I, I guarantee you, you have something going on in there. You would definitely want to get an MRI and still people, when they hear that, even though I've had the experience with it, they still are reluctant to accept it. And which is interesting, but yeah, um, they're actually really common. Right. Yeah. I think there was like recently there was a, a book that was turned into a movie about a guy who didn't find out he had a pituitary tumor into until his thirties. And then he did, he got, got rid of it somehow, what through medication or surgery. I don't know what he did, but then basically he like went through puberty during his thirties and he just yeah. talked about the experience that it was absolutely insane. Like acne showed up, sex drive was just out the roof, never experienced that before. Uh, just, you know, it was just like what you experienced during puberty when you're 13, 14 years old. Do you he, remember the name of that movie? I'd love to. I can't it. remember it. I can't remember it. I thought I'm, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, okay, cool whenever I look back at it, but uh, yeah, he didn't know like all through um, high school, he, you know, he noted, he thought he wasn't developing like the other guys, but he didn't think it was anything normal. He was like, Oh, I'm just a late bloomer. Um, and it wasn't until his thirties that he finally found out, Oh man, I haven't gone through puberty yet. Cause I had this pituitary tumor that was preventing testosterone, which is like, that's what kickstarts puberty, right? That androgen. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, okay. Well, so you had a tumor that um, basically stunted testosterone production. We'll talk later on about how testosterone is, how testosterone is produced in the body because I think it's important for guys to understand um, so they can know how to tackle the problems of low T. But besides uh, pituitary problems, I mean, what other things cause low testosterone in men? Because like, I think I've read research, and we've written about it on the site, that testosterone levels in men in the West have been decreasing for the past century. So what does the research say is going on there that you've, you've found? Yep. So, so over everything that I've read over the years, basically I came to the conclusion, like people, they, they tend to chalk it up to aging as, like, as, though, that, as though time causes... Uh, causes it to, to lower and that's just what people commonly accept it accept as um, but when you use when you look in the context there's a couple things like the context of the last hundred years you got to look at what's changed for for people like you know in in our western world what has changed for us and that that can leave you know lead you to some clues um, but then also the idea that that aging itself you know or time passing forward is in some way uh, causing low testosterone, I think is it just ends up being uh, just kind of like a bit lazy for, for when researchers say it, it kind of frustrates me. So 
because it doesn't tell you the whole picture. It's kind of like they just accept it and then stop there. The thing is aging is uh, there's a lot that goes into, you know, aging. If you take, for example, if anyone listening to this, if you just kind of picture uh, two people, we've all seen it. There's like the basically around 50 years old. You can typically like, I know people that are 50 that look like they're 30. And then I know other people that are 50 that look like they're 70. So what, what do you, what's the difference between, those those uh, two two individuals. What it really comes down to is uh, it's on a cellular level, obviously, but it kind of goes up to a more macro level, uh, which is more tangible for people to understand. Is uh, it has a lot to do with micronutrient deficiencies, which accumulate over time, and a lot of us end up starting on our deficiency train. You know, when we're kids, like th- think back to what I was just saying. My diet was as a kid it was terribly nutrient deficient, right? Um, so if you accumulate that and, and push that over decades and decades to the point where someone gets into their thirties, forties, and fifties, that's why a lot of people start to experience problems with their hormones and, and they, they never had those problems before. It's basically because it just, at that point seems to be where the, the kind of the combination of these micronutrient deficiencies, these key, which, which are really raw materials. So people understand what they are, the, the vitamins and minerals, uh, are the raw materials that your body needs to produce hormones. And it needs these things to also to regulate your, your metabolism through your thyroid gland um, and so forth. So what happens is when it starts to run out of these things, if you're not getting it di- in, in your diet, and also if you're not assimilating these things in your gut, um, it's going to start, wh- what your body does, it will literally pull and uh, create this material from other tissues also. So in, in other places inside the body. So just through like processes where maybe it has to take something like two or three steps to get, you know, some vitamin that it needs to fuel this other thing, but eventually you kind of run out and that's when these health problems start to happen. Um, it's also around the time when, uh, people, you know, when they're in the thirties, forties and fifties, uh, they start to have all these health issues because a lot of the stress has, uh, begun accumulating and starting to manifest in symptoms that, are unavoidable or unignorable at, the, at that point. And, you know, this, this is, I guess, if there's one thing to point at, it's the elevated cortisol levels. Cortisol is important to um, have in a balance and, and to utilize for, for certain, uh, you know, reasons, especially uh, the topic or the example that I like to use is, you know, get, a, get out of the way of a taxi, for example, acute, acute things, right? So things that are going to activate your fight or flight response in a survival scenario or in a scenario where it can be constructive, for example, uh, during you know weight training or some kind of physical training that that you can then recover from and become stronger because of it. But your body does require an increase in cortisol uh, to actually you know lift that whatever it is two hundred fifty pound bench, three hundred pound bench, whatever whatever you're doing. Um, it, but then you need to be able to recover from it. Where a lot of people run into the problem is they have. Uh, chronically elevated and increasingly higher uh, levels of cortisol throughout their life decade after decade, especially as, you know, just logically like you're a kid, you don't have to pay bills and you, then you start to uh, get hit with a lot of realities of the world. Then you have kids and you, you know, have jobs and etc. You move around like a lot of stress starts to come into people's lives. And typically it's around the thirties, forties and fifties starts to really manifest in, in potentially health issues and then you add on top of that the uh, micronutrient deficiencies that are basically throwing your hormone production into uh, a state of chaos. 
the, the combination of those two things, I think, are the biggest levers that lead to disease and um, obviously, you know, imbalance and, and health issues in people later. And low testosterone is definitely one of those. Right. And I mean, besides, you know, testosterone lowering as you get older because of just stress and just not taking care of yourself, like it's actually lowering amongst men who should be at their peak, right? Like, like a 20 year old today, I think has lower testosterone than say their dad or their grandfather had at the same age. Yep. And, and that was another thing. Also, the topic I want to talk about with like what happened in the last hundred years, chemicals and the, the rise in these chemicals that, that act as estrogens in the body, or that can act as estrogens. And there's, there's a lot of them out there. There's like a surprising amount of things, but it also, if you think about from just kind of everything that we tend to consume or uh, rub on our bodies, whether it's soap or lotion or suntan lotion, uh, that sort of shampoo stuff we're rubbing into our scalp, things that people don't even think about that they do on a daily basis, uh, even down to the clothes that we wear have dyes in them that potentially have heavy metals in them. There's a lot of stuff getting into our body and our skin's extremely absorbent. There's a lot of stuff getting into our bodies these days that were not even, they didn't even exist a hundred years ago. So it definitely, you know, on top of all the, the micronutrient deficiencies and the stress, um, we're starting to see these, these low testosterone levels in guys in their twenties, like you said. Uh, and I think it's from the constant exposure to, chemicals that are unnatural for our bodies and easily absorbed because our skin is extremely absorbent. Right. These are called xenestrogens, right? Xeno, is that what they're called? It's like a special, it starts with an X. Xenoestrogen? Xenoestrogen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's in chemicals, plastics. Um, I've read that even from a pediatrician that um, he's been noticing, just sort of anecdotally, uh, an increase in hypocidious I think it's what it's called amongst uh, young boys is basically it's when the penis doesn't fully develop. And so the urethra, instead of the hole, instead of being at the tip, it's like at the bottom or close to the scrotum. He's seen an increase in that. And one of the theories, or again, this is all anecdotal, is that mothers being exposed to all these chemicals, plastics, et cetera, that increases estrogen in their bodies. And then that has an effect on the male fetus in t- terms of uh, development of the genitals. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very plausible theory. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> so um, a lot of people think, okay, well, low testosterone, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you might not have much of a sex drive. Uh, you might not, you know, be jacked or whatever. But I mean, besides though, are there other downsides or other ill health effects that come with lower testosterone, particularly in men? Oh, definitely. So the, well, I think there's, there's this thing because having had such low testosterone at some point, uh, and now having very healthy testosterone levels, I can, I, I can think back the biggest thing was, it was less about like a specific, like, Oh, I wasn't jacked or, or whatever, something like that, that people would typically think about first, but it was literally, I did not feel like a man. And I, I think that, I don't know if there's some like definition of that, but the, that was the biggest thing. And I think that's the biggest asset that a man can actually have is to feel masculine and to be in touch with that. And, um, I felt like an it, I remember thinking that back then I was like, I just feel like I am asexual and that, that went just not, not from like a reproductive standpoint only, but literally from a, a gender standpoint, um, and having that masculine energy restored, uh, 
meant everything to, to what happened after that. And now, you know, I'm very ambitious. I do whatever I want. I completely, I seek freedom in my life and I, and I build, I'm building my life the way that I want it to be. And I think on a, like not really a physical level, but more of a, a psychological or a spiritual level, that is the biggest thing uh, for that a man needs to have in balance to really succeed in, in their own way. Like however that guy wants it to be. But if that does, if, if someone has low testosterone and they really are in that situation where uh, they're not, they don't have a lot of masculine energy, then um, restoring that testosterone is going to really, really help. Right. So yeah, you uh, decrease drive, depression is often a ill effect of lower testosterone in men. I think that's because testosterone is a precursor to dopamine. Um, so there's lower testosterone. There's lower dopamine. Yeah, well, yeah, dopamine helps to increase testosterone. It's all in a right. feedback loop. Basically. Yeah, it's all in a feedback yeah. loop, yeah. Um, so what are the benefits of optimal testosterone? I guess you've been kind of mentioning it. So it's you just have more energy, more vitality. Anything else beyond that, like physiologically, that that comes with testosterone that makes it makes us healthy men? Yeah, uh, I mean, hair, hair growth. That was a big one. I can, I can grow a pretty good beard now. That was good. The, the ability to put on muscle and uh, really develop the, your physique and um, just be strong in general. I, I think it's important for men to be strong. You see a lot of guys that are, that are weak and it, it just, you know, I, I think as a man, you, you should be strong. You don't need to be like some jacked bodybuilder, but you should be pretty strong. That's really important as, as a protector, as a you know, provider. I mean, just the, the, the fact of not having to deal with depression, the fact of sleeping really well, relaxed, uh, having your mind like in a really clear place, uh, the, the clarity of mind that I, I would definitely attribute it to having a balanced, you know, healthy testosterone level. Because if anyone who's gone through depression or had anxiety problems, if anyone who's gone through that knows, you have no clarity at all. You're foggy. Imagine how much more effective you are at anything you do if you have clarity of mind. I mean, that, that's, it's, again, it's like, it seems so basic and simple. It's not like, oh yeah, you're going to grow some giant biceps, but it's like, if you have that, if you have that level of execution on a daily basis, you're going to get so much more done. You're going to feel so much better in general. And that, that obviously everything I think works in a feedback loop in the body that helps to keep your stress low, helps to keep your testosterone high. Also, obviously the the benefits of, with uh, your sex life, which is also major. I mean, people that, that if, if you're, having problems in that department, anyone can, uh, empathize with, with how, uh, I guess decapitating it can be. And then also just the fact that there's plenty of research showing that more frequent sex, not only increases testosterone, but also lowers, uh, stress levels. So it helps, helps men relax and women. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of major benefits and, and obviously, um, you know, you don't need to have like ridiculously raging high testosterone levels to feel this way, to feel good, but, you need to make sure that they are not low. If they're in a nice, healthy range, which uh, typically for guys would be over 600, like between 600 and 1200. I've seen guys get up to as high as 1500 naturally. Um, Ali Coppola, my partner in Anabolic Men, he, he's been at 1500 before. But beyond a certain point, you don't see many, like, I guess it's, it's more like asymptotic in terms of the benefits. Beyond a certain point, there's not like massive returns on it. And then you see the guys that go into like super physiological levels by injecting it or using creams or, you know, some kind of anabolic steroids, they start to run into a bunch of other issues. 
at that point. So yeah, let's talk about that. Why try to do this naturally? Why not get testosterone replacement? Like, why didn't you ask the doctor, right? When you're going through all this stuff, just give me some cream or give me an injection. Yep. So at this point, I, uh, when I kind of got to that, that point, I was, I was just tired of pharmaceuticals. I, I was like, I want to figure out a way to see if I can do this naturally. It was, I was just pretty bullheaded. Like when I get a thought in my mind, I just want to do it. And I know my parents were kind of freaked out and people like obviously they advised against it, but I pretty quickly had figured out because I also went, I went to uh, Duke university for neuroscience. I was learning about the, the brain and the body, the way things work. I know there's a feedback loop. There, there are tons of feedback loops in this specific case. Um, you know, the testosterone feedback loop is, is uh, pr- pretty simple and we can get into or it's, I mean, it's simple to like on an overview level, it's actually extremely complicated, but if we just want to keep it simple here, the, there are certain areas to manipulate. I knew that if I could at least figure something out in that, that, uh, axis that it feeds back to the brain and can, will upregulate and increase testosterone production. So I was like, well, I, I want to do this naturally because also, um, just on a really, on a basic level, if I have to be on testosterone replacement therapy, uh, even as a 19 year old, but it, um, you know, anybody that's considering it, you have to think about this. You are going to be, you're going to have to be on it for the rest of your life to, to feel good, to feel the way you want to feel. Because what happens is you, you use that testosterone, that exogenous testosterone, the, the body, ha- because of the feedback loop, it, it sends signals to your brain that says, uh, we have plenty. Thank you. And what happens is your brain stops producing or signaling to produce more testosterone. So you're actually just reliant on this, this, uh, you know, whether it's synthetic or bioidentical, this exogenous testosterone for the rest of your life in order to feel the way you want to feel. And that did not seem like a good idea to me. So, um, I thought I'd try my hand at figuring it out naturally because I know also with the feedback loops, and this is something that a lot of people get worried about. They're like, Oh, well, what if I get it too hot? You know, isn't that going to run into problems? Thing is, if you do it all naturally, you're not it's not possible to get it too high because that feedback loop doesn't just increase production, but it will decrease production. So when you get to that, that high level, which I think is about probably 1500 nanograms per deciliters, the highest I've ever seen someone do it um, with, you know, completely natural methods. But when you're around that level, it's going to start to just slow down. It's not going to cut it off, but it's going to say, okay, we're good. Like we don't really need any more now. We can just hang around here. So, um, yeah, it, did that answer your question or did that help? Yeah, no, that was perfect. I mean, but is there a point where you think, um, like, say a guy says, oh, I'm going to try to do it naturally, but he's not seeing any progress. Is there a point where he should, like, go talk to a doctor about TRT? Um, so what I would say for guys to, that, the, the people that I would recommend guys that use TRT, I, there's a couple different things. So uh, first off, if if someone has an issue with a gland or some aspect, like a, a real medical issue, uh, where something is not there. Like for, for some reason, I've, I've gotten emails from guys that have no pituitary gland, for example. I'm like, well, sorry, you, you honestly can't. And they want to do it naturally. But I was like, I don't know really if there is any way you can. Um, I think TRT is probably a good option. So, and also guys that have to get their testes removed, for example, for uh, cancer, testicular cancer, that again, throws kind of a, a fork in the spokes of uh, the whole system. 
um, anyone with certain brain damage or, or um, organ damage or so, something that really, like for example, uh, say say someone has like really terrible liver problems, or maybe they're an alcoholic for many many years, and they because when when your liver's out of balance, uh, what's going to happen is there's going to be a lot of production of uh, SHBG and uh, aromatase, so there's going to be really high estrogen and really high or low free testosterone, but high SHBG, which is going to bound that that um, serum testosterone. So it's going to bind the serum testosterone. So there's certain issues like that where these are like real, you know, kind of nuanced medical issues that I would I would say, you know, you might want to consider it if you want to feel better more immediately. But it, or and in, in guys like some some guys I actually have people that that have, that read our stuff or read our books and, and whatever and, and have emailed in that are in their 60s. Guys that are in their 60s, they say I do this all naturally, or I'm I'm using like supplement supplement advice. That sort of thing, and they increase their testosterone levels. I had a guy who was he was sixty two, and he had over seven hundred testosterone, and he was just he was loving it. But he did it all naturally. Um, but there's a, another group where there's guys that you know they're they're over 75, 80 years old. Maybe they feel like they're on their last leg of life, and they really want to feel better for a period of time. That might be a good option at that point. But for the most part, I think people are way too quick to get in there and try and get it. Because they think it's a quick fix, but really what's going to happen is you're going to be relying on it for the rest of your life. I think there's pl- plenty of people are perfectly capable of, of increasing their testosterone naturally. And then getting it to a point and developing the habits that are necessary to get it to that point, just developing those habits is going to change your life. Because most people don't want to look at like what caused it in the first place. If, if you look at all the bad habits that, that you've been doing that caused the low testosterone in the first place, and then you start to adjust those and adjust them towards something that's that's healthier, you're not only going to feel better, but you also now have these much better habits in general that are going to carry you forward. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. All right, if you're wanting to cook more at home, but have been putting it off because you're just, it just overwhelms you to think about all the shopping you have to do, or you're intimidated because you don't really know how to cook, HelloFresh eliminates all the excuses for cooking home-cooked meals in your home. With HelloFresh, they send you fresh ingredients in a recyclable, insulated box right to your door, along with instructions, step-by-step instructions to turn these fresh ingredients into delicious meals in 30 minutes or less, literally takes about 30 minutes to cook these meals. They've got three options. They've got a classic box, a veggie box, and a family box. Customers can order three to five different meals per week designed for two or four people. And there's new recipes created every week. At HelloFresh, they have two full-time dietitians on staff and they review every recipe to ensure it's nutritionally balanced. And besides dinner, they've also got breakfast options as well. So you can get some delicious tasting breakfast sent to your door with all the ingredients you need and you can prepare these things in 30 minutes or less. Literally, my son and I, we cooked some mushu pork tacos and it took us 25 minutes. It was super easy to do. The instructions were clear to, you know, easy to read, easy to follow. No experience necessary. I'm not a terrible, I'm not a, I'm not a great cook, but I was able to make something that tasted fantastic. If you want to try HelloFresh and get rid of your excuses for cooking at home, go to HelloFresh.com and use code MANLINESS30 for $30 off your first week of deliveries. Again, MANLINESS30 at HelloFresh.com for $30 off your first week of deliveries. You're going to love this. This stuff tastes great. And best of all, it's really easy to put together. Go check it out. Also by Saks underwear. So I've been telling you about Saks underwear for a while now. They've got their patented ballpark pouch, which is awesome. Keeps everything separate down there. So no more sticking, no more chafing, no more discomfort. But I tell you about a new product they got out is their two-in-one kinetic training short. With their kinetic training short, they've replaced the liner in an athletic short with their kinetic boxer. So you got quick drying fabric, same great fit and the support of the ballpark pouch in a training short, an athletic short, gym short. Super comfortable, warm down there in the garage gym went on a hot human day, worked like a charm, stayed dried, 
no chafing, no sticking. It was super comfortable. You want to give these a try. My listeners have a very special limited time deal. Get 20% off your first purchase by going to saxunderwear.com slash manliness. So if you want to get some training shorts and some underwear too, go to saxunderwear.com slash manliness. That's sax with two X's. For 20% off purchase, saxunderwear.com slash manliness. And now back to the show. Gotcha. So um, you mentioned earlier that you want to shoot for like optimal testosterone around 600, what's it, mega? I don't, I don't know, what's the measurement we're using here? I'm always... Uh, nanograms per decimeter. That's total... Yeah, I wouldn't say that was... Opt- I'd say like somewhere in the 800 to 900 range, but I'd say 600-ish is like where it's you'll start. You'll, feel, you'll start feeling like, uh, is it like below 600? You might start feeling like, uh, I'm not, this is, I'm not doing yeah. well right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, so how do you, how do, where, how do you recommend guys go getting tested? Because I've, when I wrote our series about testosterone uh, a couple years back, I remember we got a lot of comments saying that they're, you know, when these guys go to the doctor and say, I want a testosterone test, but like their doctors were really reluctant to give them a blood test for testosterone, which is really simple. How do you go? I mean, what's the best way to go get tested for your testosterone levels? Yeah. I mean, luckily now the, there are a lot of services out there that, make this easy because i think personalized medicine is really becoming a thing uh, it's going to be a big movement here in the next 50 years but uh something like wellness effects offers testosterone tech tests uh life extension offers a ton of tests and uh so if people haven't checked out life extension is pretty good there's you know they do mail order tests i just saw another one called let me look it up i think it's called well path yeah Let's see customized Oh, this might not be the one, but there, there are some other ones. I saw another one uh, that did, they, they're advertising a lot on Instagram right now. Oh yeah. Well, that's, it's not this one. It's like, this is like a shake, but there, there's one that's advertising on Instagram a lot right now that, that they do uh, saliva testing. Obviously blood testing, I think is more accurate uh, if you're trying to measure how much testosterone is in your blood, but um, saliva testing is still a measurement point. You know, it's like a scale. It, that's how I view it. It's like, if you, if you're going to test saliva, then just keep testing saliva. Uh, if that's what you want to base your point of reference on. Uh, but now, yeah, there's, there's a lot of options out there. And, um, uh, what, what's that other, do, do you know, are you familiar with wellness effects? Oh, it's talking. 20. Yeah. I'm familiar so, yeah. With talking 20 is yeah. the other one. Not familiar with them. Yeah. They're like the alternative to, uh, wellness effects. And, um, do you recommend, like, how do you go about getting tested? Because from what I understand about testosterone, because, and we haven't gotten to it yet, but how testosterone is produced, there's so many moving parts and there's this feedback loop and it's highly sensitive that you can go in and measure testosterone on one day and it's out the roof. And then the next day measure at the same time and it's like way down. So how do you go about measuring testosterone so you get a good outlook of what your testosterone, like your base testosterone levels at? I would take multiple data points for someone if someone's concerned with that, or I would always measure under the same conditions. So, uh, for example, you know, if obviously if you're going to measure under the same conditions, say if someone was going to get if you're going to test it in, in at 10 a.m. and you know you weren't drinking a lot the night before, or you you know had like the same kind of level of sleep as the previous test, that'd be a pretty accurate. Uh, reference point in terms of like looking at different areas, as long as you can know, know what variables you need to control for. And then uh, the other option is to, if you, if you can afford it to take multiple tests at different times of the day, and then also to control for similar variables every time you do it. 
because, uh, you know, you could have a different level potentially in the morning that you do in the evening and you likely will. Uh, but what you'll find is you'll, there'll be like a standard deviation basically. And, uh, as long as you know what to expect there, also, as long as people don't, you know, really emotionally tie themselves to like always having the perfect level, uh, but really staying within a good range, uh, I think that would be helpful. Yeah, that is helpful. Cause yeah, that, you're right. Your testosterone levels do peak in most men in the morning, which is why it's hard to go to the bathroom when you first wake up in the morning. Um, you guys know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and other kind of weird things too is like I, I uh, you're, I've read that research has shown that uh, your T levels actually increase generally in the fall for some reason, and like Thursdays are a day that I don't know that might be just sort of like some kind of men's health stupid study, but that wasn't something else I I've read. Oh, that's it. yeah, I've never seen those, but yeah, um, I mean it kind of makes sense. Like you could correlate that Thursday, like the week starts getting really, really long. People are getting tired. Thursday's like at that point, maybe the stress is built right, up. Right. Um, all right. So a blood test is ideal um, because you can actually see what's in your blood. Saliva test is just another data point. And yeah, you can get this online. You don't necessarily have to go to your doctor. Of course, if you go to these other services, insurance doesn't cover it. But I think the price you're going to pay, I've seen like 70 to $100 for a, a serum blood test. And it'll tell you your total and free testosterone levels. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think... I mean, if someone wants to get a bit more extensive on what they're looking at, it does help to, it does, it helps to know. Cause like, for example, if somebody measured uh, free serum, um, DHT, cortisol and E2, then they, so they have like a gauge on their estrogen levels, then that would be a really good test to, to take regularly. Because if you know, a lot of people, they'll get, they'll get a test and they'll send me a test that they have and say, Hey, what, what do you think about this? But it's like just serum testosterone or something it, it, and it's low. So I have no idea what they should do with that. Right. Because if they had these other markers, it would help to know, Oh, you're oh, even SHBG is a really, really good one to test. If your SHBG is really, really high, it's pretty damn obvious why your free testosterone is low that it, you know, it's because of your your SHBG. So, um, that, and then that's not that difficult to, to regulate. And then it's like, you're, you're saying is like, when you understand the system, then you can know where to, to go in. So if you have more data points, it's really helpful. Okay. So you, we've been throwing around terms like total free testosterone, SHBG. So a lot of people, there's a misconception is like, Oh, my, I look at my total testosterone number. That's going to tell me everything I need to know about my testosterone. Like I've got a really high testo- total testosterone, but like, I'm still not seeing the effects. So what are, what's the difference between total testosterone and free testosterone? And then what role does SHBG play in that? Yep. So basically, uh, you know, the common two measurements are the, are the total and free. There's also the albumin bound, but typically they lump that in, um, with the, uh, what they lump it. I think they lump it with free or with total because it can easily be turned into free. Like you can easily break the albumin uh, binding. Um, the, the, the SHBG is, is basically a hormone called, is produced by the liver or it's, it's a protein called a sex hormone binding globulin. And what it does is in the bloodstream, it binds to the testosterone molecule. So when it's bound, that testosterone molecule now cannot bind to an androgen receptor. So you want a, an SHBG is necessary in the scheme of things. It's necessary as part of the whole feedback loop, but what happens is, 
you know, the bad thing is when people have too high of SHBG um, and they need to lower it, you know, there's ways to lower it. There's also ways to lower estrogen naturally. There's ways to manipulate all these things, but understanding that when it's too high and it's binding too much testosterone, that your, your free testosterone, the active testosterone that's going to be able to bind to the androgen receptor uh, is now going to be much lower than it needs to be. And then you're going to have the downstream issues, the, the fact, you know, any of the symptoms associated with low testosterone. So, for example, the example you used with a guy that has really high total, you know, but still has symptoms of low testosterone, that that would be a good guess of he probably, you know, and he definitely should measure his SHBG and is free. So um, you can kind of get a get a hold on stuff. And, and for example, SHBG, uh, it's interesting because it is uh, produced by the liver. Uh, you see people that take, uh, and this might be a helpful tip for some people, is people that take regularly uh, acetaminophen, you know, like over-the-counter pain medicines, they, it typically it's very taxing on the liver, especially if it's taken frequently. There's been linked, a link between acetaminophen con- consumption and higher SHBG levels. And obviously, if people that are that are uh, you know excessively drinking, like alcoholic, is going to have higher SHBG as well, also higher estrogen. So um, yeah, hopefully that's helpful, like kind of clearing the air on some of the the basic hormones and proteins involved here. Right. So we got total testosterone, which is all your testosterone combined. Free testosterone is the stuff that can actually work on your body and have that androgen effect on you. And then this SHBG is like what binds to your testosterone that makes testosterone not free testosterone. Okay, so um, let's talk about how testosterone is produced. You kind of mentioned it before. There is sort of this feedback loop. And let's just start, like, where does it start? Like, how does our body decide, okay, it's time to make more testosterone? Okay, so so really what people should focus on is what's called the HPG axis. And the HPA axis also plays a role in this because that's tied to your adrenal. So HP, those, those stand for hypothalamic pituitary. And then the G is gonadal, like your testes basically. And then the A is adrenals. And so, um, and this is where we can kind of talk about the interplay of the cortisol too, because that's produced in the adrenal glands. But really what happens is it starts, it's a cascade of signaling. It's not like it starts, I guess it's a, it's a loop, but you're, you get information from your gut initially if you really want to go back to the root, the gut has a ton of neurons that are signaling constantly to your brain, telling it, oh, we've got these resources, we're good here, we're good, you know, good there, or we don't have these resources, etc." So there's a lot of signaling that goes on from your gut to your brain. What happens in this case, the hypothalamus signals gonadotropin-releasing hormone to the pituitary, which then basically based on what it said with the gonadotropin releasing hormone signals with uh, LH and FSH, which is luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone uh, to the testes. That's, that's the signal to the testes about like, Oh, you know, here's what we're looking at um, in the body, the the blood serum, testosterone, free testosterone, et cetera. Uh, So you should produce this much right now. And so boom, it produces it. It's the info is fed back based on the current state because obviously we're also always providing new stressors into the body, new situations. Um, so that feedback goes back to the hypothalamus through the spinal cord, and uh, you you know you're back to starting again. And this is just constantly always going on. 
Right. And so, um, yeah, once your body produces enough testosterone, it's going to tell your pituitary gland, all right, we don't need any more. Shut things off. Well, yeah, it's shut, like kind of, yeah, Reduce, regulate things. Like, regulate things. Handle right. it. And, but, th- but what happens when people take the testosterone replacement therapy is that that's what it says. It says shut it off. Like, right. Well, no, we're good. Because it it's always in your blood. There's always, you know, a ton of it. Okay. So let's talk about where things can get messed up and like where, and it causes the testes to produce less testosterone. So yeah, what are, what are some things that can disrupt that, that axis? Yep. So, um, on a basic level, like the things that I, that I mentioned with the signaling hormones, um, the signaling hormones are, are interesting and those are always a good clue for people that want to do a blood test. If you look at your levels of LH and FSH, uh, that'll tell you a lot of information. The the LH is is typically what's sending, you know, the luteinizing hormones, what's sending the signal for the testosterone. Uh, the FSH is for more like sperm biomarkers, like reproductive stuff. Um, so if those if those are low, then you know it's a good a good sign that something's off. Um, then I guess uh, think of other hormone. Well, the cortisol in the adrenal gland cortisol basically is antithetical to the testosterone also, but it's regulated through the same, the, the top of the axis is the same. So, um, if something goes wrong in that signaling, obviously if you're producing, you know, you have like excess cortisol production. Um, it's an, it's initially interestingly coming from the same place as the uh, testosterone production. However, they act opposite of one another, I guess what else, maybe that, Maybe, did that answer the question or? Yeah. Like, I mean, what role, so you mentioned estrogen yeah. levels, like men have estrogen levels, right? Yeah. Like that's, it's, yeah. it's healthy to have estrogen, but too much can be a detriment. So how come too much estrogen in the body disrupts testosterone production? Uh, so yeah, estrogen is interesting because uh, also right now, if we want to talk about like what the last hundred years, men also have much higher estrogen levels than they used to because of chemicals and stuff. But but so basically estrogen, you need to have a good balance. And it's really like people, when you, if you want to get granular, more granular, but more accurate with things in terms of what to look for is, is the testosterone to estrogen ratio. And, uh, you know, people basically when you're, when that ratio is off, like when the estrogen is too high compared to the, the testosterone level, that's when they start to have the issues with the estrogen. Not necessarily, and I know I remember. So you'd mentioned uh, the increase in in estrogen. Your body's naturally going to try and maintain a ratio there, you know, a healthy ratio. So that's really why you see guys start producing more testosterone. They also will see an uptick in their estrogen levels. However, if that ratio is is good and healthy, the way where it should be, you're not going to have any symptoms of higher estrogen because of the the ratio is really what controls it. So. Wait, was that helpful? Is that what you were asking? Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes okay, sense. Cool. Okay. Um, so we've got this system in place that there's a, a feedback cycle that determines how much testosterone we have in our body. Let's talk about what we can do to manipulate this or optimize this feedback system. So like, I think a lot of guys, when they, they're like, I want to increase my testosterone, the first thing they do is like go right to searching for a supplement that will fix the problem. Um, but in the book, you don't advocate for that. What should men do first when they're wanting to increase their testosterone levels? Yep. So we actually, um, 
this is honestly the most common question uh, in terms of like, what supplement should I take? So everyone going toward the supplement right away. And, you know, I even, I own a supplement company called Truth Nutra, but I, in, in the, in the essence of like what to actually is going to solve the problem. I was trying to figure out a way to illustrate this visually. And in the book, in the, in the beginning chapters, there's a, a pyramid. It's what we came up with. We were like, okay, how do we visually illustrate this so that anyone can think about it? And then I can, you know, obviously speak it over a podcast or a video or kind of have it so it's easy to understand. The base of the pyramid is what's the most important thing to do to optimize your testosterone. And on the top of the pyramid is the least important, but it's still part of the pyramid and still helpful, right? So the base of the pyramid is micronutrients. And this is what it all comes back down to. You need the raw materials available to be able to produce the right amount of, you know, each hormone and keep that in a balance. So the micronutrients is also, it's like insanely simple, but most people, it's like almost too simple where people want to just ignore it, but it's so simple. And, and there, I mean, it's, it's radically simple because there's actually been, there was a, a field of research back in, I think it was in the eighties called nutrient therapy. that got totally just hammered by the pharmaceutical market, uh, pharmaceutical companies, but it was doing some revolutionary things where they were using these nutrients to cure major disease, like quote diseases in people. And there's still a guy out there that does it named uh, William Walsh. He's a, he's a PhD in biochemistry and uh, he cures people of schizophrenia and um, other psychological disorders using nutrient therapy, which highlights really how powerful it is when you bring the nutrient balance back to where it should be. Um, so the micronutrients are really, really important. And w- one of the easiest ways, obviously, if you can get the data, it really is very helpful. There are micronutrient testing companies. You can also order blood tests that will give you you know, your micronutrient levels. But what the one that I recommend, I met these people in, in uh, LA a few years ago. It's called Reset Yourself. They do, it's a, analysis, a hair analysis of uh, like baseline micronutrient levels. And they give you all the, like, all the helpful ones, basically, that are required, the essential ones. So if you get the data and you can see, oh, I'm deficient in this, this or that or whatever. And, and for example, it's like, you're, it's never going to be perfect. So it's something that's always, always uh, helpful to have some data on because uh, for example, I had, I went through a, a period last year where I was just feeling like out of nowhere, just very anxious, kind of depressed. I wasn't sleeping well. And I was like, Oh shoot, what's going on? Something's wrong. I went and got a micronutrient test. I was deficient in four things. And there were key things like uh, magnesium, sodium, uh, potassium, and uh, selenium. So I was like, oh, boom, I got some data. I went, I started to consume a lot of uh, um, like high mineral content water, started supplementing with those specific things. Within two weeks, I was feeling amazing. So it was just this very simple, so basically what is called nutrient therapy. Um, and that will help to solve also this issue, the testosterone issue, because if your body doesn't have the raw materials it needs, it can't actually produce enough testosterone. The next thing on the list up on the uh, pyramid, the next level up is the nutrition. And we're talking in terms of leverage here, right? So you're going to get the highest leverage from getting rid of your deficiencies. Next level up, the nutrition aspect. And uh, another radically simple idea is that balance matters in terms of the nutrition. There's, if you look at the landscape, uh, especially nowadays, like the keto diet is very popular. Uh, when in the past, just a few decades ago, the low fat diet was very popular. So there's a fair amount of research 
um, on both ends of the spectrum out there. But you have to, if, if you're going to look at it with intellectual honesty, you have to look at it with look at the full gamut of the research, the, the actual context, which a lot of people don't. They they just try and confirm what they want to hear. Um, but if you actually look at the full gamut, there are people that um, there's research showing that people are in terms of macronutrients are increasing they have higher levels when they do a low fat diet and then there's also the opposite the high fat diet so people are cherry picking that stuff to fit their uh, agenda at this point but if you look at the full gamut it's like what does that mean and then you add the protein into the mix people that are on high protein diets typically have lower testosterone levels guys so um understanding the the uh, and that's that's because they aren't consuming enough of their calories from the carbs and the fats. So if you look at that all together, what it means is there's really this uh, winning ratio, or which is going to be a little bit different for every individual based on obviously even like insulin regulation. But the the ratio ends up being somewhere around where the protein levels are pretty moderate, like pretty almost low, what a lot of bodybuilders would consider lower, somewhere around a 20% of your intake from protein. And, uh, and then you know, the starting point that I tell people is 40-40 on carbs and fats and not just any fats though, monounsaturated fats and saturated fats are typically good. The, the polyunsaturated fats, which always they come from vegetable oils are pretty toxic to the body and very bad for your thyroid and thyroid imbalance also causes low testosterone. So I always say like get saturated fats and monounsaturated fats from good sources. It's interesting because monounsaturated fats come from fruits. They don't come from vegetables. The, the vegetable oils, it's fruit oil, like avocado, olive oil, that sort of thing. And, uh, and then the saturated fats, which people can get from animal meat. And obviously the quality of the meat does matter also, uh, because a lot of shitty quality meats injected with all these hormones too. It's like this constant minefield to be aware of, you know, but yeah, the, the, on the nutrition side of really having a balance, not eating like a ton of protein all the time, which is something that a lot of bodybuilders think they call you know, cause I'm a bodybuilder, I'm manly, but there's tons of research showing that competition level bodybuilders have extremely low testosterone, especially when they're dieting. So yeah, hopefully that's helpful on the nutrition side. And I obviously go in, I go in a lot more detail in the book, in the book, but also on, on anabolicmen.com. If, if any of you guys want to Google that, we have like specific articles related to carbohydrates, to fats, to protein. It's all up there for free. Then on the training side, the well, the lifestyle is actually next up on the on the thing uh, on the pyramid, and the lifestyle elements that includes stuff like sleep. Sleep is extremely important. Uh, anyone who's dealing with low testosterone, I just tell them across the board to sleep eight to ten hours a night until you're feeling better. A lot of people sleep way too little. They see it as a like a sign of strength to sleep less, uh, when in in reality it's it's leading to a hormonal imbalance over time. Uh, and there's probably ways to, to sleep less in a healthy way, but it probably takes a long time. Things like um, meditation. There's research showing that when people are meditating deeply that they don't need as much sleep. Uh, but very few people meditate on that level, you know. And also this includes things like sex uh, in that in that element of the pyramid. Uh, if you're having more actual contact, you know, sex, uh, there's, there's obviously the difference between autoerotic touch, like basically masturbation, and then actual sexual intercourse. The sexual intercourse has been shown to increase testosterone levels consistent, like reliably when, in men. But then the, uh, the masturbation, it, it's interesting because it only depends on, on basically the amount of guilt that the person has. That's what it seems uh, over, over the process. The ejaculation itself 
is, I mean, the body can tell like when it's not authentic, but the, it seems like there's a cortisol rise in, in studies where people are, they somewhat feel guilty for having done it, which is also kind of strange because it's a study of like people masturbating. So it would probably be a bit skewed because it's an odd, you know, who would feel comfortable in that scenario? Right. Sign me up. And so also just relaxing, making time for play is also, because that just reduces stress levels and things like that. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Any, anything that's going to help people regulate stress, stress is probably the biggest huge lifestyle lever that someone can pull. You know, if you can lower your stress, you're going to just be feeling much better because that cortisol does lower your testosterone. All right. So beyond lifestyle, it's, it's training. Um, any particular type of training? Yep. So, um, in looking at all the, all the research out there, I tried to put, I basically put together a formula I call the testosterone work principle. And it, it essentially comes down to, um, activating as much muscle volume as possible and as little period of time as possible under a stress threshold. So each of those elements matters quite a bit, but what that, and that's based on there's, you know, it's looking at actual research of researchers that were trying to elicit as much testosterone and as much growth hormone as possible from training. And, uh, they were, obviously they were looking at elite athletes and, and a lot of this research is done, uh, in elite athletes and then comparing elite athletes to regular people to try and figure out how they can get an edge, you know, for, for these Olympians or whatever. But it's pretty cool because what you see is by activating a lot of muscle volume. So for example, uh, sprinters are a common subject in these studies. So, but if you look at a sprinter's body, it's like the classic thing of, like holy shit a sprint, all these sprinters in the olympics they look amazing right their physiques look great um, a lot of them are also juicing so i'm not going to be naive about that but you know in general even even people like high school sprinters uh, they they tend to have better physiques than a high school uh distance runner before the juicing is introduced so the the muscle volume activation really does matter and the explosion really does matter uh and that's where if, especially if you're lift in lifting weights, making sure that you're not like lifting with terrible form at a too heavy of a weight that'll injure people. And then it's no good to anybody. But if you're lifting heavy to really use an explosive movement, I see a lot of people lifting like extremely slowly. And there's probably some research showing that I, I know everyone's got research on everything, but specifically for testosterone production, the explosion over a large amount of muscle volume really does help elicit a bigger anabolic hormone response. And then the other element to the equation was the stress. And, you know, it's, it's good to have, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, it's good to have the, the cortisol spike to really like help you lift heavy. However, what happens is it's, there seems to be a threshold over which the body becomes just too stressed out from the experience. And typically it, it, in a, in a, you can display this graphically over time, uh, like time elapsed in the training session. Uh, a lot of the, 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 uh, research that I saw was, it was right around like a 45 to 60 minutes is where this starts to happen for people that are training in a really, you know, intense type environment. But also what happens is you have to look at it on a macro level, like over time, because you need to recover from your training bout in order for your, your muscles to actually recover and, and have a good chance at, at, you know, doing, repeating this process basically. So, but what a lot of people, even with something like CrossFit, they do a lot of good movements for this for the first parts of this, this equation, uh, for example, like active, you know, doing like power cleans, for example, right. You're activating a lot of muscle volume, doing a lot of work on the, on the muscles by displacing that weight over a distance. Right. So 
but the problem is a lot of people in CrossFit end up, they're like puking their guts out afterward. Right. And then they're, but some people that are more intense about it, they go and they're doing it every single day of the week. Uh, what happens over time, they're, they're getting into a really stressed state in, in their body. Uh, they're not really recovering from it. So you have to kind of look on a micro and a macro level, the micro being the training session itself in terms of what the sweet spot is for time for you as an individual, where you start to feel the, the, the stress really from this session is becoming unproductive. And then also on a, on a macro, like a week level where you have enough recovery in, inside that week to actually have good, good training sessions where you're lifting more and you have a progressive overload because the way the body works is it's going to, especially with muscle gain, it's going to, you gain muscle with the help of these anabolic hormones that are released, right? So you need to constantly put your body into an increasingly elevated, you know, homeostasis, because it's always going to want to have that homeostasis, that level of balance. And in that zone, you're not actually going to be, you know, producing any more of these hormones because your body has no reason to, there's no stimulus for it to adapt to at that point. So you need to have a progressive overload constantly going for more weight. You know, for example, it could even be just one pound on, on the lift or two pounds, but always increasing the weight and trying to do that at an interval. That's, that's, uh, you know, considerable, like for every week or every two weeks, um, up increasing the weight in your lifts, uh, that's going to help with this because your body, what your body's going to do to respond to that increasingly high stimulus is it's going to release more of these anabolic hormones. And in turn, you're going to build more muscle. So, um, yeah, that's kind of like in a nutshell, how the, how the training principles work uh, involved with this. And it is relatively simple. I mean, and almost logical. Um, so hopefully that's helpful. Right. So basically lift heavy explosion. Uh, if you're going to do cardio, do the high intensity training. Yep. Yeah. And, right. and yeah, like sprinting, that kind sprinting of thing. and things like that. All right. So that, so basically what you're saying, like, you know, I think what, in my own life is when I did my own experiment with increasing my testosterone levels naturally a couple of years ago, basically just making simple lifestyle changes did it all. Right. It was just like eating right getting like exercising and like just managing stress was the big one for me. So people can do that. They're going to see a lot of bang for your buck. And then the, the, the capstone of the pyramid is, is supplements. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. You go to like Whole Foods, right? And you go to the, like, there's like the men's section and there's like, like Viper Cobra supplement or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. are there supplements that actually increase testosterone or, um, I mean, what does the research say on that? Yep. So, um, people, so basically, uh, what I would advise is looking on an ingredient level. People are going to go look at the Viper Cobra, whatever, um, you know, like t- Testo Max 10,000 or whatever you're going to see as a formula sitting there. But the if, if you have a basic understanding of the ingredients that do increase testosterone, the specific minerals, uh, the herbs that have good research behind them, in terms of increasing testosterone, it can be more helpful in selecting what supplement someone wants to take, right? So in terms of the minerals, uh, magnesium and zinc and boron across the board increase testosterone in the research, uh, especially in people that are deficient in those minerals. They're, those are what I would consider the big levers to pull with, with the minerals. So um, magnesium also, I mean, it's really good for, for free testosterone specifically because it helps to control that and reduce the levels of the SHPG. So if that was something that from earlier in the episode, if people have higher SHPG levels and they want something specific to help regulate that, uh, magnesium definitely helps. 
And then zinc is just in, in general, like really, really important for your body. It is, it helps to regulate over a hundred different uh, enzymatic reactions in the body. And so if you're deficient, obviously it's going to be affecting all of those things. Uh, but especially in testosterone and androgen receptor availability, DHT production. So, um, you know, we, we've, we accumulated quite a few of studies and, and also over on anabolic men, we've got a lot of free content for anyone who wants to read more about magnesium or zinc, but there's, there's just a, across the board, these things really do work and they help and they help also with thyroid function. Um, they help in the entire system, which one of the pitfalls that people, it helps to understand what, what works and then what really doesn't work. Cause there, there are things, um, like, like the common things like fenugreek and uh, saw palmetto that are really commonly marketed out there as, as uh, T boosters, but they, they only increase testosterone levels in by basically blocking DHT conversion. So it's, it's basically by, by uh, almost like a negative manipulation in this system. So what people end up experiencing, especially with saw palmetto, uh, is really common. People have like really, really adverse reactions to it in the same way that people have adverse reactions to a drug like um, finasteride. So uh, because of that DHT blocking capacity. So it's important to stay away. Also like be educated enough on, on the subject when, if someone's picking a, a T booster in the store to make sure that it doesn't have certain ingredients in it that could be potentially damaging um, in terms of herbs ashwagandha is awesome ashwagandha is so good for regulating and it's got a ton of studies behind it uh, these are like it's like legit research specifically with re regulating stress and then there's also studies showing uh really big increases in fertility biomarkers you know, sperm quality that sort of thing also testosterone levels and in just like direct testosterone type research around ashwagandha ashwagandha is awesome and the, the best form of it that i know of is ksm66 which is an organic it's like a trademarked version of it that's it has a double the with analyte content in it which is the active ingredient and then forskolin which increases uh cyclic amp production which downstream increases uh testosterone production and helps with androgen receptor activation so th those are really really good ingredients in terms of like high leverage ingredients uh, there's a couple others i mean creatine is very very well studied creatine monohydrate has been shown to increase testosterone levels naturally. I think creatine is, is probably the most, if not the most studied natural compound uh, with relation to this stuff, it might be. Uh, it's among it's among the top three probably. It has like 88 human studies on it specifically, which is rare for a supplement to get that kind of attention. And um, also mucunaparians, because mucunaparians helps to increase the dopamine levels. And so what people are going to see is you know, not only an increase in testosterone levels, but they're also going to see a heightened, uh, like good feeling basically in, in a way that's not, not like a euphoria where someone was taking more of an illicit drug that was working on the, uh, the dopamine levels, but more of like a, a nice calm focus type thing when you take the Mucuna. So yeah, those are, those are probably the, the high leverage things that work. So if you understand it on an ingredient level and the, the research around the ingredients, then that's when someone can make uh, an accurate, uh, I guess, um, assessment of whether uh, a supplement that they're looking at is good or not. Gotcha. But again, this is the capstone thing. Like you wouldn't go to this first. Um, yeah, I would say that this is, this is, if you are doing everything else and you're making progress on all the other things, 
and you want to really, you know, enhance things that, yeah, then, then start looking at this stuff. Cause it's also fun. I mean, it's fun to like mess around with, in, in my opinion, I, I enjoy messing around with different supplements and seeing how things feel uh, as long as I do my homework on them. Right. But yeah, some people just love supplements. Right. But so yeah, start off the base thing, eat a balanced diet, exercise, manage stress, and that's going to that's going to take you a long way and then, you know, the cap it off, you know, maybe take some supplements if you're still having some deficiencies even after you do all those those base things. Yep. Yeah, and then something like a really like a good probiotic can really help someone because really the the first step in the uh in the, the sequence is it really involves the food that's going into your gut. And uh the ability to assimilate the nutrients from that food. So, you know, this is another really common thing nowadays. People have just really terrible gut health. So, uh, if someone thinks that they do, you know, symptoms would be obviously stuff like diarrhea, brain fog, um, just poor digestion in general, uh, like consistently probably have, have issues with that. So that's where a probiotic would, would be helpful. Awesome. Well, Christopher, this has been a great conversation. Um, where can people go to learn more about your work? Uh, so in terms of the content, anabolicmen.com, in terms of, uh, my, my company is truthnutra.com. And, uh, yeah, we've got plenty of free information across the two of those. And then, uh, our book is master your tea for anyone who likes to, you know, physically read a book. Awesome. Well, Christopher Walker, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot, Brett. My guest today is Christopher Walker. He's the author of the book, Master Your Tea, The Definitive Guide to Raising Your Testosterone. It's available on Amazon.com. You can also find more information about his work at anabolicmen.com. And also check out our show notes at aom.is slash testosterone, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. If you enjoy the show, if you've gotten something out of it, I appreciate you to take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Helps us out a lot. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Stay manly.